You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I have another guest who I think will bring some good insight into the Redskins' new structure. Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer. He knows a thing or two about the people involved here and can give you an outsider's view of what's taken place thus far. Why does he like Ron Rivera for Washington? And then I close, as usual, with a few of my thoughts. I know you're tired of hearing about the ex-Redskins coaches, so I discuss that in a rational way and also why retaining Doug Williams was key. But first, my interview with Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer. Now I'm joined by Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer, and I wanted to bring on Albert not to rehash the Ohio State loss from a couple <laughs> weeks ago, but to look ahead with the Redskins. And he also, he provided some really good insight on the North Turner, Scott Turner dynamic and how that would translate to the Redskins. So Albert, I want to start with there. And you, again, in your, one of your recent um, MMB, MMQB columns, you talked about how Norv had been kind of grooming Scott. Can you kind of shed a little bit more light on what things were being done to kind of groom Scott Turner as an OC? Yeah, sure. And, and you know, I, I think this sort of goes back a, a few years. Um, you know, Scott got kind of caught in the crossfire um, when, you know, his dad left the Vikings in, uh, in 2016. And uh, he coached out that year with Pat Shermer as the OC, and um, he's the quarterback's coach there. And then after that year, um, you know, he winds up losing his job um, as, as uh, you know, as, as Shermer becomes the permanent OC. Um, or no, as he – I think he went on to – I, I can't remember if that was the year he went on to the Giants. Maybe it was. Whatever the timing was. He winds up, you know, losing his job there. And um, – and so, you know, he has to go, for, go to the University of Michigan for a year and serves as an analyst. And, you know, at that point, Norv really thought he was done coaching. But the opportunity came along um, in Carolina in 2018. Um, yeah, after sort of Steve Wilkes had talked to him about becoming his offensive coordinator in Arizona, you know, Ron Rivera was sort of like, well, you know, if you're not retired, I'd think about bringing you here. So he goes and he plucks Norv. Um, Norv brings Scott with him. And then, you know, I think over the last, and I've been told this by, you know, people on that, who are on that staff and not Scott or Norv, um, you know, that like you sort of could see where Scott was really involved in game planning, really involved um, in sort of the day-to-day jobs that coordinating an offense would bring. And, um, and you know, I, like Norv was still calling it. But it was pretty clear to everybody, you know, and this is the case in some other places too, where the quarterback's coach was very, very involved um, at every level of putting together the offense. And some of the innovative stuff that they did with Cam um, over, you know, the, the first year and a half there um, were really sort of, you know, brought about by Scott, who, you know, spent a year at the college level. And so, 
Um, you know, Scott's got, you know, very forward thinking in that way. And he and his dad worked a bunch on that. And then of course, you know, when, when Ron gets fired, uh, you know, in Carolina, uh, you know, that's the time for Norv to step away. And, and, and Scott gets a, a little bit of experience there calling it, but he's very highly thought of in the building. I, I sat down over the summer with, with Norv and, and uh, or with Scott and, uh, and Cam, and you can see the relationship there. And so there's definitely, I just, you know, you can see how he knows how to build relationships with players, particularly quarterbacks. Um, and he is pretty innovative and does have some experience. He, you know, doesn't have a full year having called it before, but he does have some pretty significant experience with duties that would line up with being, being an offensive coordinator. And obviously, I think another key to this, and you've written about this too, the expected hire of Ken Zampezi. And as of this taping, it's not been yet made official, but the, we'll just call it the expected hire. Um, how important is he in this whole equation? Oh, he's definitely important. I mean, he's got experience having called it before. And, you know, he's worked with young quarterbacks um, a bunch over the last 20 years. He was the quarterback's coach in Cincinnati in 2003 when Carson Palmer got there. Uh, was in that same role in 2011 when they drafted Andy Dalton. And, and of course, was the quarterback's coach, uh, you know, in Cleveland um, when, when, uh, when Baker Mayfield was a rookie and was really responsible in a lot of ways for Baker Mayfield's development as a rookie. And so, um, you know, Ken Zampese, that's a targeted hire. You know, with, I think the idea is bringing in a guy who's got good experience with young quarterbacks. You've obviously got one there in Dwayne. And, you know, I do think that there's that, uh, there's sort of like that idea, you know, we're going to put resources around our young quarterback. And I, I, I don't think anybody knows if Dwayne Haskins is going to be the quarterback of the Redskins two years from now. But I think the idea is, um, this is just me reading some of the tea leaves, the idea is to put the best infrastructure around him possible to give him the best chance to develop. And that's what I was going to ask you, too, is how this affects him. Because I'm with you, like, I, and when I'm talking to people around this organization, nobody's sitting there saying, hey, we got our guy for the next five or ten years. They're not at that point yet, but I think you're right. It's about surrounding him with giving him better opportunities to succeed. I mean, what did you think uh, – what's – we know what the perception of him here is as it's finished. What, did, what were you hearing around the league about Haskins and how he, what he did here last year? Well, I, you know, I, the, the main thing I've gotten is that sort of – like he started to turn a little bit of a corner when it was like, okay, he's our starting quarterback for the rest of the year. And they started to build it and call it for him a little bit more. Um, so, you know, I do think that you saw him make progress. And, and you and I both watched every snap right. that he played at Ohio State. And I think it's very clear, like, if you look at, like, what he did as last year at Ohio State, that he was a way better player in November than he had been in September. And so all of that's encouraging, right? Like, that you have right. the progress the one year he was the starter at Ohio State. And then with the Redskins, he struggles a little bit to begin with. But then when he gets a little experience and now they're starting to call it and build it for him, he starts to look a little bit a little bit better. And so I, I certainly think that – you know, when you talk to people around the league, you, you see that there was that, um, there was that progress, and that's, that's a positive. But I think the jury's still very much out on him, you know. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I, and I think the important thing here, John, that you, that you want to remember, uh, whenever, whenever there's a coaching change and there's a young quarterback on hand, that sort of puts the young quarterback on notice, right? right. Like, and so if a new coach comes in, that coach has no investment in the quarterback who was drafted. It wasn't – he had nothing to do with it. He wasn't the one who was, you know, meeting with him in, in, at the Combine in February and on campus in March. He didn't do any of that. And so 
he's sort of coming into the situation now more so than it being his job to develop the quarterback. It's his job to make, to, to sort of get, make an assessment of the quarterback and make decisions on the quarterback. And we saw that last year in Arizona. Um, I don't think this is one of those situations, but that was a really unique one with Cliff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Ron Rivera and Norv Turner or, and Scott Turner are very aware of the fact that going into this, part of their job is going to be, let's get answers on Dwayne Haskins. And the fastest way to get answers, put the best infrastructure around him you possibly can, because that's going to give him the best chance to succeed. And that's going to allow you to make decisions on what you're doing at that position faster. And you know, it's funny because Scott does have a little bit of experience against Dwayne Haskins. I mean, I know that, you know, the, the Redskins play Carolina this year, but you go back to 2000, was it 2017 or 2018? Yep. No, 2017 when he comes in at Michigan yeah. and Scott is working at Michigan. And, you know, I, I don't know, do you have a feel yet for what Scott might think about Dwayne? Yeah. Well, I can tell you this. I, I know some guys who are on that Michigan staff who, um, <laughs> and this is nothing against JT Barrett, but like when JT Barrett went down and Dwayne Haskins came in the game, there were guys, I know that there were some guys in that staff that were like, Oh crap. <laughs> like here comes, here, here comes the better quarterback, you know, and the feeling that they had a good handle on what JT was doing and that the Ohio state would be a little bit more difficult to handle when Dwayne got in there. And, you know, sure enough, Dwayne Haskins comes in and helps them win the game. And so, yeah, I mean, I think having that experience probably helps. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Scott's a pretty connected guy, too, um, at both levels of the game, the NFL and, and college. So, you know, I, I think he'll have resources to kind of get some insight on Dwayne, too. And having been in the Big Ten, I think certainly, certainly would help. Um, you know, and being able to maybe reach out to guys like a Ryan Day, you know, like a, like, a, like a Corey Dennis, like the guys who worked with Dwayne on a day-to-day -day basis at Ohio State, maybe even some of the support staff. So, you know, I, I think they're going to be in a good position to gather a lot of information and get good insight on Dwayne. And part of that is because Scott did spend a little bit of time in the Big Ten. With Ron Rivera, he's obviously has a good reputation as a coach. He's also been given a lot of power here. What, first of all, let, you know, what, again, what, from around the league, what is, how is he considered in that coaching realm? Because again, I've heard a lot of good things, but also with the power, how, how do you feel like it might go there and how is that viewed um, outside of DC? Yeah. I, you know, and I, and I would, I would just tell you like the, the experience that I like the experience I've had covering the NFL is like, I just tell you, like, like, I think with each team, each team needs something a little different. And I think the Redskins are probably in a point right now where because of everything between Bruce and Jay and Bruce and Scott those years ago and Bruce and Shanahan and all the different things that we've had, the different dynamics and the different people that, that Dan Snyder was listening to, uh, I think the Redskins are one of these organizations that really needed somebody who was capable of standing in front of the room, who was capable of setting a tone, and who will, you know, set up the communication flow in a, in, in, in a good and meaningful way. And the easiest way to do that is get, find a head coach, empower that head coach, and then hire people around him. Um, and I, I'm sure you've heard the examples, but Seattle was a good example of that in 2010. They were a smoldering mess in 2009, uh, you know, with Jim Moore and that group there. And they just needed somebody to come in and set a new tone. And so they hired Pete Carroll. And then Pete Carroll is in the room and he hires John, he helps hire John Schneider. And, you know, then they hire staff around those two 
And you know what happens then, John, is everyone's invested in one another, right? Yeah. Same thing in San Francisco three years ago. They hired Kyle Shanahan. Well, what does Kyle Shanahan go and do? Kyle Shanahan goes and hires John Lynch, helps to hire John Lynch. And John Lynch, of course, played for Kyle's dad, Mike, in Denver. What do they do then? They hire Adam Peters to run personnel. He, of course, was in Denver. And so, like, by doing those sorts of things, you, 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 know, you find a coach who's going to be the head of the room guy, but you also go and find good people who the coach is going to be invested in. That way, you sort of limit the amount of backbiting, if that makes sense, and you, limit the, amount, you limit the potential for infighting. And the reason why, like, and you've seen this. You've, how long have you covered the Redskins, John? <laughs> 25, and I see it all the time. Every okay, the backstabbing, the finger pointing, right? Yeah. Well, it's pretty hard to point the finger at somebody else if you are in the room helping to hire the guy, right? Yeah. Like, if Seattle had gone the wrong way, Pete Carroll can't point the finger at John Schneider because he was part of hiring, right? right? Kyle Shanahan can't point the finger at John Lynch because he signed off on that, right? right? So, like, I really look at it that way. Like, I just think it's, it's – there are certain organizations – I think Cleveland's this way too. Like, there are certain organizations that, you know, get themselves in a spot where they really do need that. Like, they need someone to align them. And, you know, I think that's Ron's great – one of Ron's great strengths. Is his ability to unify people, his ability to bring people together. Um, you know, I think he can help them do that, not just with this coaching staff in the locker room. I think the whole football operation, he can help them do that. And I think there's a great example out there of that for you, too. The yeah. 2015 Panthers, the 15-1 team, that was about as tight a locker room as I've ever seen in the NFL. And if you talk to guys who are in that locker room, they would tell you the same thing. And you can't tell me that part of that doesn't come from the head coach. I remember having a talk with Jared Allen, who, of course, played, you know, was a, was, a, was a great, great player for all those years for the Chiefs and the Vikings. And, um, you know, after they won the NFC Championship, you know, he said to me, he's like, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like this team. Um, and, you know, they really valued, like, like what they had built there and the, the, the culture inside that building. And so, um, you know, I, like that to me, like for the Redskins, isn't that just what the doctor ordered, right? That's exactly what they need. It is, and it's, and it's funny along those lines too. And it, you know, Jason Reed and I did a big thing on the Bruce Allen era, what went wrong. And you heard time and time again about the culture out there and how things went down to him. But what you also heard from people even outside the organization, they would say this is the worst organization they had to deal with. There's so much back in, you know, infighting and backstabbing. It's like, you know, like a middle school, middle school classroom um, and worse you'd hear. So like the other part of it too, for me is the fact that they hide, that he'll be working with them. But I think it's the respect that you get from football people making football decisions, which hasn't always gone on here. And I know that was a frustration for some here in the past, because I even asked someone, when will they win? When the non-football people stop making football decisions. Well, now you're going to have a situation where it's football people making those. I think, like you said, they're going to think it's more of a, it's a deeper investment and a different investment and a necessary one. Yeah. And I think it's investment in one another again. Like, you know, like if Ron Rivera is empowered, right? Like if you empower the coach, um, that's another, like, like there's another level of this where it's like, okay, if he's part of picking the players, you know what, then that's on him. So he's going to be invested in developing that guy. He's going to be invested in finding a way to make it work for that guy. Um, you know, I, I just think that that can be a really meaningful thing. You know, like, 
Absolutely. Okay, Ron Rivera helps hire the GM, or maybe it's Kyle Smith. We'll see what happens with that. But like when the when the new front office is like for the next four months, of course, and then when the new front office is set right. up after that, um, you know, I I a huge part of this is going to be Ron Rivera is going to be part of picking the players and putting together the roster, and because of that, Ron Rivera is going to have a huge investment in making it work for whatever guy he brings into that locker room, and I think that's a really really powerful thing. And, and I don't get the sense from him that he's some power-hungry, ego-driven no. guy. I think this is a necessary thing more than it is a power grab. I'll tell you what. Like, if you go back, and there were a bunch of guys who, like, so when, when Dave Gettleman got to, to, to Carolina in 2013, like, they, were, they, they had a huge cap issue. The cap was a mess, right? And, like, part of, his, part of Dave Gettleman's job was to go in and be the bad guy, right? Like, and cut certain players and – and that was, you know, like, like, like it was just they needed, they, they, they needed to have their sheets clean, basically. And, like, and, and Dave wound up doing that for them. Um, but while that's going on, that's a really tough thing, right, for the coach to have to manage because you're seeing some of your best players walk out the door and there are lots of questions to answer in the locker room. And I would just tell you, just go to any of the guys, go to any of the players who wound up, like, go, getting sideways with the organization through that th- whole thing. Go and ask you know, Steve Smith, go and ask, uh, go, go and ask Jonathan Stewart, go and ask any of the guys that played for Ron that wound up being cap casualties through that, that, that period that wound up on the outs of the organization. And a lot of times you, you hear where they'd say like, like, God, that, that was horrible. Like, like, I, like and they, were, they were justifiably angry about losing their jobs. Those guys loved Ron, <laughs> you know, and so, like, I think it's, like, a good example of, like, something that he's dealt with. And he put out – he dealt with so many fires there, too. It wasn't just that. There's the Greg Hardy thing in 2014. I mean, like, from a managing people standpoint, he's outstanding. And I think that that's a really, really – again, like, another one of these, like, just what the doctor ordered type things for the Redskins. Last thing, Albert, and I appreciate your time. I want – this is a couple-part question, but it's – NFC East has hired now three new coaches – what was your assessment of what the Giants and Cowboys did and how – who do you think maybe – is there one team that you think comes out better than the others? So here's what's interesting about those two teams, like what the Giants and Cowboys did. I think in both cases it's very reflective of where those teams are. Um, the Cowboys could not afford to take a, to, to, to take a risk. They could not afford to take right. a big swing uh, because of where they are from a roster standpoint. They've got a quarterback they're about to pay. They've got a running back they just paid. They got a receiver. They got to make a decision on. They've got an offensive lineman full of guys who are paid that won't be great players forever, but are really, really good right now. And they've got a defense that needs some help leadership-wise, but has a lot of good young talent. And so, you know, the Cowboys feel like they're in this two to three-year window, and and I think that that's sort of where the Mike McCarthy hire makes sense for them is that we need somebody who can come in and get the most out of this group right now today. And so they bring in a guy who's got 13 years of experience on the flip side, you got the giants who are in the middle of a rebuild um, who have a young quarterback in Daniel Jones going into year two, a young running back in, in Saquon Barkley going into year three and are going to need to be developing a lot of young players over the next couple of years. They were in position to take a risk. They were in position to say, okay, like, we're okay, like, with a guy we really, really like that we think can grow into a great leader, even if it takes maybe six games, 10 games, 14 games for him to really get comfortable in the role. And so I think 
you know, the way to look at it is you can look at the Redskins. What the Redskins needed was the Redskins needed somebody who could put out fires and unify right. the building. What the Cowboys and, 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 and Giants needed was sort of different than that, and that the Cowboys need a guy for the next two years. The Giants were looking for a guy for the next 10. And so I think each team was sort of looking for something a little bit different. Um, from a track record standpoint, obviously it's very, very different going from Rivera and, uh, and McCarthy to Judge. I still like Ron coming in as like a really experienced, tough, demanding, but unifying force in that building. And so of the three, if I had to bet on, on one working in the short term uh, and producing the most improvement, because the Cowboys are already a pretty high level, right. um, I would say it's probably Rivera of the three. But I think each of the three hires was logical for the spot their teams were in. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Albert, for joining me. Anybody listening? Albert's a must-follow, must-read on mmqb.com, at Albert Breer on Twitter. Um, and it's not just because we talk Ohio State once in a while. It's because he's really good at providing insight that I think NFL fans like. So, Albert, thank you very much for coming on. Awesome. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. After this break, I'll be back with a few of my thoughts. Why Doug Williams was pivotal to retain, especially in the role they carved out for him. Which players does he talk to most? All right, now I'm back and we're going to wrap this up with a few of my own thoughts, as you always know I do. So let's get to it. And especially, I want to get into this first thought, especially after the weekend's playoff games that included, as you know, some former Redskins coaches, Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers and Matt LaFleur with the Green Bay Packers. They'll be playing in the NFC Championship game. I know you're well aware of that, but I know that there's a lot of stuff that's been set out there. So I want to discuss this in a non-Twitter type way. So let's get to it. I know there are some that will poke the bear on this and you know, say, look how bad the Redskins are for letting these guys get away. Listen, Kyle Shanahan wasn't going to stick around after his dad was fired. And he was fired after having three double-digit loss seasons out of four. Mike Shanahan was an excellent coach and, and, and won Super Bowls. We know that. But nobody's going to stick around for a fifth year with that kind of a record. And that's not a comment on... Who was really at fault? There are a lot of issues with this organization. The bottom line is things weren't working. And Kyle Shanahan was tired of this place before his dad was fired. So let's not pretend there was a chance of him staying after that fact. I think in an ideal world, you could have seen Mike Shanahan having success and handing it off to Kyle. That wasn't, certainly by the end, you knew that wasn't going to be the case. I will say there were other coaches on that staff who didn't like Kyle Shanahan, who spread things about him and how he only hired his buddies. That wasn't true. And because you look at all those young guys that were there, he hired good people. Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, among them. That's one part that I think still lingers with him, that accusation. And it's been proven that these guys were good coaches. However, when Matt LaFleur was here, nobody was thinking future head coach. He was a good quarterbacks coach who had a lot more to learn and had to develop a stronger presence in front of the room. He's like the other coaches who travel a journey before reaching this point. He had been, I think, since he left Washington, he went to Notre Dame, he went to Atlanta, he went to the Rams, he went to Tennessee. So this was a journey that got him to this point. If they had fired these two coaches a year ago and then they got head coaching jobs and were highly successful, you can frame this a different way. That's not what happened. 
At the time he was here, you knew that Shanahan would become a head coach one day. He was smart. He had that presence. And, and you knew he was going to elevate to that. It was just a matter of time. I think people in Tennessee were probably surprised by LaFleur's hire in Green Bay. He did not have, he was not a rousing success in Tennessee. And I don't know why, because I wasn't close enough to the situation. But, you know, I'm, and I do know he's a smart offensive coach. I've always respected him in that regard. And I've, I always like talking to him because of that. But my point is, it wasn't like he was out there lighting things up with Tennessee's offense, or the Tennessee offense wasn't lighting things up for whatever reason. They had some issues. Wasn't I don't know that it was coaching, personnel, what. I just know what the results were. So both Shanahan and LaFleur were in Atlanta. If you want to know the team that made a mistake on LaFleur, it's the Falcons. Shanahan left to become a head coach, a well-deserved move, and they could have elevated LaFleur from quarterback's coach to be their OC and continue the Shanahan system, which worked exceptionally well for the Falcons. Instead, they hired Steve Sarkeesian, who implemented a different system, and the Falcons' offense wasn't the same. It'll be easy to take shots at this organization they have deserved many over the years. We all know that. The real crime was not doing better when they had all these minds on this staff. Had they done so, maybe one of them would be in charge now. And there are a lot of reasons why that staff didn't have success. The fact that they got away, it's hard for me to get worked up about that and just rip on them. It's an easy storyline and they are a punchline for it, so just get used to that. Then there's Preston Smith. We've talked about him before, but I want to address it again because he too is still playing and it's timely. So bear with me. This isn't, again, it's not a bash job in the organization. I'm trying to talk about this in a rational way. He's produced big time this year the way that many felt he could. It's not as if he was, I know the big thing is, well, he's not dropping into coverage now. Well, guess what? I still see him dropping into coverage with Green Bay. Um, It's just that I think he's doing it less. And it's not as if he was always dropping into coverage here, and that's the only reason why he didn't get sacks. No, that's not the case. I remember one time someone close to Smith telling me how, you know, he had this one really quiet second half in a game. He said it was because Smith only rushed like three or four times. I was shocked by that number, so I went back. I'd already watched the game again. I went back and watched Smith specifically in that second half, and I marked down how many times he dropped into coverage and how many times he rushed. Turns out he rushed more than 30 times, yet I was told it was three or four. The point, he didn't always produce here. I also felt that part of that reason was definitely the scheme, and it wasn't necessarily creative at all in how they use guys. And yes, there were times that linebackers dropped into coverage too often. We all saw that. In every 3-4, the outside linebackers are going to drop at times. That's what they do. Otherwise, you're rushing five guys every time you're in a base formation. That's not what you're going to do. So, But, you know, again, it's more about a matter of how often. And clearly, at times, it definitely seemed like it was too often here. I'm not going to argue that. The Redskins would not have had, I don't think the Redskins would have had one more win had they retained Smith this past offseason and paid him what Green Bay did, which was four years, $52 million, and $27.5 million in the first two years of guaranteed cash. Ryan Kerrigan produced better numbers in that same defense, so Smith has to take some ownership on what he did or didn't do here. That said, I also felt he was more versatile than the way he was used and should have been moved around more. I think that's one thing that seems like Green Bay has done. He also has an excellent pass rusher in Zadari Smith. I like the way they use those guys. That goes back to the scheme and how you're used, and I definitely feel like that was some of it. And you know, but anyways, that's why it wouldn't. I don't know that anything would have changed had he resigned here. Um, yes, that's 
most definitely on the coaches too. Their job is to bring out the talent, and he clearly has it. Some players here compared his talent when he was a rookie to Alden Smith of the 49ers. Similar skills. I know some in the organization worried he'd get too complacent here with a big contract. Their major mistake was never really negotiating with him. They did not offer him a contract before or during the season and were content to let him walk. There was a lack of foresight here. That's happened with other deals as well. But th that group is now gone. So why I'm not going to sit here bother rehashing all the sins of a group that failed to produce and is no longer here. I liked Montez Sweat coming out of college more than I did Smith. Now, had they retained Smith, they wouldn't have had to need it. They wouldn't have needed to trade back into the first round to select a pass rusher. Maybe they could have taken someone at another spot. Let's see how Sweat fares in a 4-3. I think he's going to be good. And if that happens, if that happens, then when people point out what Preston Smith doing, you can counter with Sweat. Now, if Preston Smith continues to do this, it's just going to you're going to have to accept he's one that they just blew it on. But again, that group is gone. And I do get the frustration with this topic by fans. The Redskins have been a bad organization. You know that. You don't want to be reminded by every by every time you go on Twitter or every time you turn on the TV. The record is what it is. They stopped being special a long time ago in the eyes of the national public. But after the last couple weeks, fans want to move forward and have reason to do so. Those who were responsible for these decisions or moves or anything else are gone. The Redskins didn't fail because they didn't retain any of these coaches. They failed because of who they had in charge. That group is out. Finally, the Redskins made a good move in retaining Doug Williams. I'm not surprised he's no longer in the pro personnel side. There were always issued issues about that side of the front office. And when Jay Gruden used to talk about getting on the same page, this is what he would be talking about. Now, that's not a shot at Williams at all because it was deeper than him. But when those things are out there, it's ripe for a makeover, and this was one step that you knew would take place. Clearly, at some point, Ron Rivera will be bringing someone else in to oversee this department. But I like the role Williams will now have. He's the rare ex-player whose words still carry a lot of weight with the younger players. I see older guys come around and they'll talk to players, but I don't think their words carry much weight. The ex-players think they might still carry weight, but I don't think it really gets through. They're talking to him one time, they might be gone, and you don't see him all that much. Williams is more of a mentor. Those ex-players, their day is done. In some cases, they might not fully grasp, the new guys might not fully grasp, who the hell is this old guy? In Williams's case, the historic importance will always carry weight. And with that, his words still resonate. There are several players who talk to him more than others. Dwayne Haskins, Darius Geis, Reuben Foster. Williams and Malcolm Black and will work side by side and basically being an ear for the players and a liaison between the players and the head coach. Williams is a good rep for the organization and his ability to connect with players matters. And it's not just those three guys. He talks to a lot of guys. His door is always open for these players and he likes being in this role. He's a, it's a new role for him, but it's kind of a continuation of what he's been doing in some ways, and it's a good one. He is unafraid to tell players what they need to hear, and he has counseled, for example, Haskins on many things already. Um, he knows what it's like to lead a group of men and how you have to conduct yourself. The fact that Haskins listens to him is a plus that hasn't always happened in the past with guys at that position. And yes, that means Robert Griffin III. But it's why Williams was a key person to retain. That's it for this week. Thank you very much to Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated for joining me. You should follow him on Twitter at Albert Breer. And as always, thank you for listening. I don't know if the Redskins' new setup will work or not, 
but it sure as hell beats talking about and hearing about the old one. Talk to you next time.